Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. headed today and I want to share with you also um, the thing that uh, the Holy Spirit was dealing with me about as I was preparing for the show today and it's dealing with um, a root of bitterness and you see it in the book of Hosea and there is a small seed of bitterness that has grown into a root and once we get into it some more, and I believe um, we're going to air today twice, um, we're airing now, and then we're going to get into it a little bit deeper at the 7 o'clock airing, but I want to give you just a little bit of an oversight of it, and uh, so I want to uh, share this with you right now, okay? Good morning, good morning, good morning. We are about to embark on another part of the prophet and the prostitute and I've had some great feedback from everyone and I appreciate your feedback and I hope you'll stay tuned because there is a purpose for starting out this show with a discussion on the prophet and the prostitute we're following the direction of the Holy Spirit and I want to give you an oversight of today's show we talked a little bit about it yesterday, but I want to give you a little bit of insight in where 
the Holy Spirit is taking us today. When Gomer returns to Hosea, he accepts her back, but with conditions. He refuses to be intimate with her. She's been unfaithful. She's been wavering. She's been a fickle wife. Therefore, she has played the role of the prostitute. Um, she's become so much a part of this that it has now occupied her. It's basically diluted her. It's changed her character. Um, so, is it possible to be a dual role of both a prostitute and a wife to the prophet? The prophet is an office. The role of a wife is an office as such. Um, the role of prostitute is one of slaves. So we have a prophet, a wife, and a slave. A wife and a slave coexisting is possible. Um, to be a slave because of poverty. But she's not a slave because he owns her. She's a slave because of the choices that she's made. So this becomes a slave of bondage. So as his people, we are either for him or we are Maranatha Anathema. Goma is punished, and, and I want to go back. Maranatha Anathema means that we're none of his. We are either his solely or we're not his at all and the word says that he is either lord of all or lord of none so it is best to be wavering on the other side of the fence than to be a christian and know to do good and know to do right and not do right i don't quite find any place in this um passage on hosea that um when he took Gomer to be his wife, that she basically went through conversion, that she was uh, basically indoctrinated into the Jewish tradition, that she went through a type of uh, conversion to the Jewish faith. I don't see that happening there. So basically, Hosea is dwelling with a woman who is not even... Um, culturally clean spiritually clean she is of uh, the Egyptians and she is pagan in a lot of ways so he is dwelling in the house with someone who does not believe as he believes has not been trained in the things of God or taught the things of God nor does she have a desire seemingly to know the things of God so here we go with Gomer representing um, a portion of our flesh that wars against the new man. The flesh doesn't want to be converted, doesn't desire to be converted, but the spirit of the new man, when we accept Christ in our lives, there begins a war between the spirit and the flesh. And the spirit man is stronger than the flesh when it's trained. It has to be trained, it has to be built up, it has to be fed, it has to be nurtured, it has to be worked out so that it increases in strength. And once it increases in strength, then it begins to dictate to the flesh. But until that time, it will be dictated to because the flesh is the stronger until we work it out. Okay, um, 
Then we have um, the punishment of Israel and the promise of restoration, that if they would return to God, and even though they had been immoral and pagan, God says that I have to judge you because uh, you can't expect for me just to take you back and not meet out any type of punishment for your bad behavior. So Israel's unfaithfulness. God is left with no other recourse than to sentence them, and God still measures out punishment, but he does it with compassion, and he does it with judgment. And God calls us to repent and to be restored to a right relationship with him. And we are about to go into the next part of the part of the prophet and the prostitute. We are doing part 4A on the morning show. We will pick up with part 4B on the evening show this evening at 7 p.m. So I hope that you'll come back for the second half of part 4 this evening at 7 p.m. Amen. Let's have prayer. Father, Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift up the listeners of this broadcast to you, and I pray a hedge of protection around them. I thank you, Father, that you are a wall of fire round about them, and that you set your angels round about them. And I thank you that because they dwell in the secret place of the Most High, and they abide under the shadow of the Almighty, they will say of you, Lord, that you are their refuge, their fortress, and you they will trust. I thank you that you cover them with your feathers, and under your wings shall they trust. They shall not be afraid of the terror by night, of the fiery dart that flies by day, only with their eyes will they behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because my listeners have made you, Lord, their refuge and fortress, no evil shall befall them, no accident will overtake them, neither shall any plague or calamity come near them, for you give your angels charge over them to keep them in all of your ways. And, Father, I thank you because you've set your love upon them, therefore will you deliver them, they shall call upon you, and you will answer them. You will be with them in trouble, and will satisfy them with long life, and show them your salvation. Not a hair of their head shall perish. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, 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 amen. I want to um, also share in regards to something that the Holy Spirit was dealing with me about, in regards to the occupations that we're studying, um, and Hosea being in the office of a prophet, which is considered an occupation, um, Gomer being in basically not an office, but an occupation of that of a prostitute. We're looking at the kings in um, the book of Hosea as well. But our primary focus is also on the family of Hosea, which represents the family of God, because Hosea and Gomer have three children, and the children represent um, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is the one who measures judgment out to his children. And so the name of Jezreel simply means that, you know, you will be scattered. God is going to punish um, them for their transgressions, for being unfaithful, 
and he's going to send them to the four corners of the earth. And we see that as evidence by the dispersion of where the Jews live. They live on every corner of the world uh, today. And the middle child, we talked about um, being the daughter, and you would think that God would allow Hosea to at least name his daughter, but he did not. He commanded him with a word for himself to first get his house in order and then to become obedient. And he became obedient, and he went seeking out to do the will of God. So we're going to go through all of this, but my primary focus in saying that about the offices and the occupation is, is that when God was speaking to my heart about talking about the, the role of a sinner in sin, to sin is basically an act. I mean, you, it's a willful act. Uh, sometimes um, circumstances and situations come up in our lives and, and cause us to sin. We're led away into sin, but ultimately the reason we're led away into sin, um, it talks about in Ephesians, that we're led away by our own desires and lusts. So it has to first be conceived in the heart before it can even become sin. So that takes us back to our thought life. So the thoughts that we have begin to plant seeds in our heart, and it's because we think on those things that we begin to act out those things, and therefore it becomes sin to us. But to be a sinner is a whole different story. A sinner, if you look up the word sinner, it is one who practices sin. A sinner is one who practices sin, therefore it makes sinner an occupation. So to be a sinner is an occupation. So if you draw that parallel, and let's just sit that down for a second and say, okay, over here we have a sinner, and in front of a sinner we have sin. And then on the right side we're going to say, okay, we have the righteousness of God, and then we have in front of the righteousness of God, righteous. How is the righteousness of God established? It was established through Christ Jesus. So through the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and the sprinkling of the blood on the mercy seat, and him sitting down on the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us, now pouring out his spirit upon all flesh, now also sealing us with the promise of the Holy Spirit, an endowment, if you would, a down payment the day of his return, and to mark us as his. So we... Now take righteousness and we say, okay, we have the righteousness of God, which was in the beginning and is and shall forever be. Um, And then we have the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. God is the righteous judge, and we are now the righteous through Christ Jesus. The righteous through Christ Jesus occurred because of the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. But it was the renting of the veil in twain that allowed us to enter now into the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies is salvation. Hosea's name means salvation. Gomer's name is that she's she's sickle, she's, she's wavering. But for the most part, the focus is on either you are a sinner or you are righteous. Um, to be a saint, we, we hear, we talk about the saints of old, we talk about all of those who have gone before us and everything, but that is a totally different role itself. To be a saint is one who has allowed uh, themselves to be disciples to the point of being sanctified. So when you hear people talk about, you know, I've been saved all day, no evil have I done, you know, I'm saved and, and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost, 
this is the foundation for sanctification. This is where the saint comes in at, is that you're set apart and you've gone through the process, you've gone through the fire and you've gone through the flood, and you've come out on the other side as pure gold. We say, okay, on top of you being our Savior, we need you to be Lord of our lives. And when someone is Lord of your life, that means that he claims he has the right to claim ownership. And this is basically what is happening here. This is an outline of salvation in the book of Hosea, is that God has commanded Hosea. He has given him a word, and he has called him out of himself and said, now I want you to sacrifice yourself for my glory, which is what he asked Jesus to do, and Jesus was willing to do it, and he did it willingly and freely, and so did Hosea. Hosea could have denied it and said, you know, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't really care what you say. I'm not going to do it. But Hosea, you don't even see him arguing with God. When God said to him, this is what I wanted you to do, Hosea set out to do what God said he wanted him to do. So now we're going back to the office and the occupation of a prophet, the office of a prophet, um, the occupation of a sinner, and the occupation of the righteous. So in between the sinner and the righteous, we have the veil of the temple. The sinner is standing outside of the uh, Holy of Holies, and the righteous is standing on the other side of the veil in the Holy of Holies. And so now Jesus is the veil, and he has torn it in two so that we now have as the center on the outside of the veil access to the inside of the veil and everything that goes along with the access into the Holy of Holies. So once you do that, then you have been given a responsibility to stay in the Holy of Holies, not to dwell in the porch, not to dwell in the outer parameters of the temple of God. And, and so that calls you out of darkness and into light, and it requires of you to work out your soul salvation in fear and trembling. So no longer are you qualified to be a sinner because you are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. So what shall you be called? The righteous. You are righteous through Christ Jesus when he has become your Savior and your Lord. And he begins to talk to him. He says, now, I want you to, to share with him the um, analogy of a sidewalk. And so here we've got this sidewalk. So just imagine with me, if you would, down the center, there's a sidewalk. And to the left of the sidewalk is just a mud puddle that a pig, you know, like a pig uh, mud puddle. And to the right of the sidewalk is a green pasture. And he says, now, I have taken you out of the mud, and I've set you up on the sidewalk, which is your salvation. I've set you on a firm foundation, if you would. And But if you look at your feet, your feet have mud on them because you've been walking in the mud. You probably have mud all over you because you've been wallowing around in the mud because you were sinning. 
and you were, you know, enjoying yourself. Nobody said that because you were a sinner that you didn't have a good time. Yes, sin does feel good for a moment, but it has consequences that go along with it, and we ultimately pay for it. So when you come out of sin and you step onto the sidewalk of salvation and you begin to put your feet there and you take a step forward and you look behind you and you've got a footprint that's outlined in mud. And you keep on walking, and the sidewalk just keeps getting dirty and dirty. You know, you've seen that when we were children doing things like that. And then you decide, well, you know what, I'm going to take my shoes over here, and I'm going to wipe them off in the grass. So you step over in the grass, and you're trying to, you know, scrub the shoes with the grass. And so you say, okay, well, you know, the more I walk in the grass, the cleaner my shoes are going to get. Well, then you're walking in the grass. And so this ties into uh, Psalms 23, says that he makes us to lie down in green pastures. So we're walking in the green grass, and we just keep walking. And, and you look back, and you see how much dirt and mud is behind you. And you look down, and your shoes are still just a little bit dirty. So how are you going to get your shoes clean? Most of us, depending on uh, the kind of fabric the shoe is, determines the kind of cleanser we're going to use. Most of us basically will use like soap and water if it's something that can endure soap and water cleaning. So he said to me, he says, I want you to get them to understand that when you would take those shoes off and you would clean them with soap and water, this is equivalent to the washing of the water of the word. Because as the word gets in you, it begins to wash you. It begins to take off the residue of what you did over in the mud. It begins to cleanse you, and it begins to change you, and it begins to make you feel clean through and through. Because the washing of the water of the word is ingested. It's not something that you do externally. I mean, you wash yourself through and through with the word. Because as you take the word in through your eye gate, through your ear gate, and you begin to inject it, and you begin to go through the purge. And when David says in uh, Psalm 51, it says, you know, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew within me a right spirit. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. And, and you find that the word is purifying you, and it's cleaning you, and it's purging you. And things that used to appeal to you no longer appeal to you because you're no longer practicing sin. A sinner practices sin. But the righteous, it says that the righteous shall, what, fall seven times, but he'll get back up. So it doesn't say that you're not going to sin because the nature to sin is in you working against the nature which is divine of God. The divine nature of God is at your spirit man that has been sown inside of you becomes strong enough to overthrow the flesh side of you, which is the sin nature, then you're going to struggle in some things and you're going to, you know, occasionally be tripped up by some things. But once your spirit man becomes strong, he says now you can enter into the strong man's house and do it and bind him up because the spirit is stronger. You know, the spirit is willing and they say the flesh is weak, but the spirit man inside of you has now risen up to its rightful place, and it is ready to take authority over that thing that has been troubling you. And so occasionally you'll go up and down, and you'll go through wars, and you'll go through battles, but ultimately you have to know that now that you've gotten out of the mud and you're over here on the Lord's side and you're walking with him in righteousness and you're, you know, being resting in, in, in him and his confidence to carry you through to the next place, then you find that you no longer desire to be in the mud. But what happens when we behave like Goma? Everything has been provided for her. She has um, obviously not married a prophet who had nothing, 
because um, she has shelter, she has clothing, she has money to go out and uh, do what she wants to do, so much so that her lovers, who were her lovers freely, now decided they're going to ransom her. And so you don't hear Hosea going to saying, you know, I need to go to the creditor, I need to go and ask somebody to give me some money to go and get my wife out of hock. He goes and gets her out of hock because he has the money. So obviously he is substantially able to provide for his wife, his house, and his children. So he's out here now, and God says, you know, this is what I've done for you. I've purchased you. I've brought you back. But yet you continue to go and you get on the auction block through your own desires and lusts. You, you follow after those things, and I've told you that you don't have to do that. But look at the difference. We can't really even throw stones at Gomer because basically Gomer never converted to Judaism, um, according to what I've found so far. You know, if I'm, you know, incorrect on that, I would love to um, – get into that, but as, as far as I can see right now with my research and my study, she never was converted to Judaism. She was an Egyptian, so she was accustomed to serving other gods. She was accustomed to dancing um, at the feet of other gods. She was accustomed to doing whatever it was that fancied her flesh, and this is what she did. And so here was Hosea trying to take a prostitute and turn her into a wife. The Bible says, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. And the analogy to that is that you have to already be a wife. You can't, you know, um, Bishop Jake says that when a man finds a wife, she's either already a wife or he finds a woman and then he tries to take a woman and make her a wife. Well, the same principle with Hosea. He went and got a prostitute because God said get a prostitute, and he tried to take a prostitute and turn the prostitute into a wife. Well, look at how that turned out. But because of God, because of his grace, because of his salvation, he was able to go back and have mercy on her and temper his judgment because God said that he was not going to utterly destroy them again with the flood. And he definitely was not going to turn his back. He was tired of having his back turned on them. And so he wanted he wanted his people. He wanted to be their God, but they didn't want to be his people. So now we go on, and we, we still are looking at the occupation of the sinner and the occupation of the righteous. Well, now we have the Holy Spirit being poured out on us. We have the full commandment of the word of God. Back then they only had the Torah, the five books of the law. They had the Ten Commandments, and they had the high priest. But ultimately, they did not have the power, the keeping and the staying power, and the power to walk right and talk right and live right, being poured out on them as we have. So how can we sit in judgment even of Goma, a prostitute? I mean, she was living under the law. She was living under the law, and only once a year could her husband go in and offer up an offering that hopefully would cover the sins of his household because the women weren't allowed to go into that part to offer up the sacrifice. So here we find that if they were living like that and they did not have the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and the infilling and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and the intercession of Jesus Christ on our behalf, and the promise that he would come for us again, and that he has made a place for us, and that he would be with us until the end of the earth. They were imputed righteous. It was like it was put on the books for them that they would be called righteous if they would just manage to live 
according to the Ten Commandments, then they would be considered righteous. But now we are to be imputed righteous means that it's coming. It's coming, but now we are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. And what is it that keeps us, keeps us going back and forth to the mud? Because when we cross over from the green grass and we cross over salvation, we redo the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of God all over again. It says, you know, we crucify him afresh. And then we enter into uh, the mud pit again, and we wallow around in the mud pit, and then, oh, my God, you know, get up from here, get up from here, and, and we hear him calling us to come out of that. But then we still remember we cross back over salvation sidewalk, and we get mud on the sidewalk, and we get mud in the grass, and we keep going and keep going again, and then we have to go through being washed again, being purged again, being transformed again, and not being conformed to the former things, and allowing God to do a new thing in us, to create in us a new heart, and to give us his Holy Spirit. And he never, the gifts and callings are without repentance. So even in your worst day, whatever gift and calling God has on your life, it is not going to go away. So you fall away and you come back. You go out and you occupy the role of a sinner, and then, you know, you come back and you want to be righteous. Well, he says he's married to the backslider. So, obviously, you can't cross over from the green grass into uh, over the sidewalk of salvation and back into the mud and expect to still be called righteous. He says he's married to the backslider. So, we backslide. So, that's another occupation. You sin as a sinner and you become a sinner who practices sin. As a backslider, you become one who backslides, who turns away from God. You practice turning away from God. You practice turning to your own desires and your own lust. And so now you still come over with this residue. And so we come in and say, God, you know, I, I've been here before. I've done this before. And why does this keep happening? Because you keep crossing over and you keep dabbling and dibbling and stuff, and then you come over and you that everything is going to go right back and, and just resume. The office and the gifts and the callings are there, but the residue that's on you, because if you look down at the shoes that you finally kind of walk the mud out, you still see traces of dirt and mud in the cracks and crevices of your shoes and underneath your heels and everything. Well, that residue has to be worked out. It has to be washed off. And you have to, you know, sometimes take those shoes to um, the shoe shop to get them perfectly cleaned up sometimes because you can't really do a good job with just – so you, you have to take it to somebody who's a professional. So basically um, this takes us to the Word of God, and the Word of God says that now we're here. Now that we're here and we're His, what is it that troubles us? What is it that is troubling Israel that has caused them to turn back into this state of apostasy after 650 years of having been brought out of bondage and having been taken into the promised land and having um, received the wealth of Egypt and having been provided for and taken care of, what is it that has caused them to go back? And I find in, in digging, bitterness has taken them back and has taken them into this place that they're in right now. So I want to look at the word bitter. And the word bitter says that it is symbolical of affliction, misery, and servitude. And the Chaldeans are called the bitter and hasty nation in Habakkuk 1 and 6. The gall of bitterness expresses a state of great wickedness 
in Acts 8 and 23, and a root of bitterness is a wicked person or a dangerous sin. Now, a root of bitterness is, in quotations, and it says, it is a wicked person or a dangerous sin. A wicked person or a dangerous sin. So a root of bitterness can be an individual or it can be a sin or it can be both. So you've got a root of bitterness that can be a wicked person or a dangerous sin in Hebrews 12 and 15. So let's read Hebrews 12 and 15. It says, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any human being, I'm going to replace the definition for bitterness um, right here when we say, lest any root of bitterness, looking diligent, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any gall of bitterness, any hastiness, any wicked person or dangerous sin spring up, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. All it takes is for one person to be embittered to trouble and defile many. Just one. Just one person having bitterness inside of them as a human being and as someone who is practicing to live a lifestyle of bitterness, it troubles. It troubles you and it troubles and defiles many. And Hebrews 12 and 15 talks about purpose. We have to persevere in purpose. We have to look, looking diligently, lest any man. Diligence is to be purposeful. You have to have purpose. You have to have purpose in life. Because if you don't have purpose in life, then you will find yourself just following and doing anything and everything. So once again, I want to look at um, another passage um, in Luke 22 and 32. And it says that, now, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when you have turned back, means when you've repented from your backsliding, strengthen your brothers. So people who come along and you see them caught up in sins that you used to do as a sinner, now you are commanded to do what? You are commanded to reach back and strengthen them. Now let's look at Galatians 5 and 4. It says, you who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. You can no longer be justified by the law because Jesus came not to do away with the law but to fulfill the law. So he has become the law. So you cannot be justified by the law because the law is what separated you from Christ. It alienates you from Christ. So to live a life based on works and to live a life based on um, the, I guess, um, the Sexually humanism and, you know, if, if I do so many good things and if I do so many things here and so many things for other people, then that's going to affect my salvation. You know, all things flow out of love and whatever you do, you do it out of love. Whatever you find your hands to do, you do it to the glory of God, but you do it in love. And that isn't something that is going to win you a place in heaven. It's not one. It's accepted. It's a gift. 
the salvation that we have, it's a gift. It doesn't have to be worked for. It doesn't have to be won. It has already been done. So when God says that I have the gift of salvation to give to you, all you have to do is unwrap it and take the gift out and use the gift. What's the point of having a gift and it just sits in the corner and you don't use it? The gifts were given for you to use them, and the gift of salvation was given to men whereby they might be saved. So then uh, any root, let's look at um, another passage on the root. I'm going to go back to the Old Testament on the root. In Deuteronomy 29 and 18, it says, uh, Be sure there is no man, woman, clan, or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord, our God, to go and worship the gods of those nations. Be sure there is no root among you bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. Be sure. Be sure that there is no man. I'm repeating uh, verse 18 of Deuteronomy 29. Be sure there is no man. Remember we talked about the root of bitterness. It could be a human being or it could be a dangerous sin. Be sure there is no man, woman, clan, or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from your Lord, our God, to go and worship the gods of those nations. Be sure there is no root among you bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. And when we come into um, the second segment this evening, 7 p.m., we're going to really get off into that because I found that human being. I found that person who was amongst them who was the bitter root. And because of that, the people were scattered. So here we go into Hosea 10 and 4. And I know that's a little bit, but I want to, to see this because it says among you says, now, who is it that's amongst uh, the northern and the southern kingdom uh, during Hosea's time? It says, in Hosea 10 and 4, they speak mere words, taking false oaths while making covenants. So lawsuits break out like poisonous weeds in the furrows of a field. Think about that. That's a selah moment. That's a pause and think about it. They speak mere words, taking false oaths, pretending, pretending. Okay, pretending amongst you, you know, the great pretenders, while making covenants. And so they're making covenants, but they're lying. They have no intent of keeping the covenants that they're making. They're doing it for ulterior motives. So lawsuits break out like poisonous weeds. This is the root of bitterness springing up in the furrows of a field. And this is Hosea 10 and 4. So among you a root, and thereby many be defiled. Thereby many be defiled, lest any root of bitterness bringing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And this is something that is, it has a history. This root of bitterness has a history. It was going on uh, during David's time. It was going on during Solomon's time and after the death of Solomon. It was going on and it was being perpetuated through a lineage. And it was handed down from the paternal side of uh, a family line. And it was basically uh, great-grandfather to grandfather to grandfather to father to son. And that root of bitterness had grown stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. It was passed down through a bloodline. It was passed down through a generation. And finally, the one that it was passed down to became strong enough in it and dangerous enough in it that finally what the original 
person who had the ought in their heart had intended and had desired to do, finally, this one, this fourth, fifth generation seed was able to accomplish in the midst of Hosea's time. And now many are defiled because of that root of bitterness. The Jews were scattered to the four corners of the world. Can you imagine one person? I mean, look at Hitler. Hitler tried to destroy those people. He tried to utterly destroy them because he was embittered. And lo and behold, Hitler was part Jewish. And a lot of people don't even, you know, look into his ancestry. But he was out of Austria. And out of Austria, you found the Jews were there. His mother was Jewish, um, of a Jewish descent. And so Hitler hated himself. You're talking about self-hatred. He hated himself. Therefore, the reason for him wanting to kill the children of the Jews and to kill the Jews themselves was because he hated himself and he hated his mother. And so it, it was a sign of him exacting his revenge out on his mom and on himself. Can you imagine somebody having so much hatred in their hearts, so much bitterness in their hearts, that that root of bitterness would defile many, would destroy many? It says that it's a dangerous sin. The root of bitterness is a dangerous sin because when it springs up, it troubles not just the person that it exists in, but it troubles everything and everybody around it. So we're going to uh, pause for a moment and uh, take a break, if you would, and I want to play uh, for you Karen Wheaton between porch and altar. And I love this uh, song uh, because, of the prophetic nature of this is that Karen Wheaton's song is calling for the ministers and the elders, and not just the ministers and the elders, but for the people of God to come and lie between the porch and the altar in the holy of holies and to cry out to God, turn back to God, turn back from the things that they were doing, that, that occupation of halftime sinner, halftime righteous, because it's impossible. You can't do that. Because as we showed you, um, with the analogy of the mud and the sidewalk and the grass, you're going to attract the mud over into the, onto the sidewalk and into the grass. So you can't dabble in and out and not expect to suffer the consequences and uh, as they say in that movie, Consequences and Repercussions. I like that movie, uh, Life. But the biggest thing is that God is calling out to his people. God is calling out to his people. And how is it that now that we have the gift of salvation with the authority of the name of Jesus, the power of the blood, and the keeping power of the Holy Spirit, that now we still find ourselves living like the northern and the southern kingdom during Hosea's time? It almost speaks of today. It almost speaks of today because of the the apostasy. You know, it's like the more gods you have, the more the merrier. You know, uh, it increases our chances of getting it right. The more gods we celebrate, so we just, you know, merge them all into one religion and, and we try to just appease the gods. When there is, according to the word, only one God, he is either Lord of all or he is Lord of none. So we have put up other idols once again above him. We've become apostate. We've gone whoring after other gods. We've gone whoring after other things and people, and we're asking God to wink at it and be okay with it, and God is saying, I'm coming to judge my people. So he has come, and he is coming, 
and judgment is coming. And when will judgment come? Will it come in your day? Will it come in our children's day? When will it come? But for sure, know this. God says in Hosea, it's coming. He judged them. He had mercy on them. So he's not going to utterly kill everybody that is involved in this state of apostasy today because he's coming back for a church. He's coming back for a remnant. Not everybody is going to come back. The word says there's going to be a great falling away. And if it be possible, even the very elect will be deceived, even those of the household of faith, if it be possible, will be deceived. So, He's not going to get a whole bunch of people up in heaven. Not saying it's going to be a lonely place, but it's going to be a place where it's not going to have every single person because if every single person was going to be saved, there would be no hell. And the word says again that hell has done what? Enlarged itself. It's enlarged itself. So I am going to um, play this uh, song by Karen Wheaton. It's just a clip out of it. And I'm going to uh, go to the chat room, and if you have something that you want to talk about, we can talk about that. Amen, amen, amen. All right, we're going to uh, turn to Hosea chapter 3. And uh, the thing for this uh, chapter says that Israel will return to God. So in chapters 1 and 2, we see the command that God has given to his prophet Hosea. He's given him a word for himself, and then he's given him a word for the people. And then in uh, chapter 2, it talks about the punishment of Gomer, but then also her imminent restoration, that she's going to be restored. So now you've got God sends a command in chapter 1, and he commands Hosea to take a prostitute for a wife and to basically make his life represent um, how God feels about how his people have turned on him and have cheated on him. They get married, they have children, and she commits to doing what it is that comes natural to somebody who is in the occupation of a prostitute. And in Chapter 2, you have her punishment and you have her restoration. But then God says, now now that I have judged you, I've punished you, and you have been restored, now I can come back and I can begin to be intimate with you. I can come back and begin to be 
your husband. I can come back and you can be my bride. We can get into each other like I desire for us to be. So Israel will return to God. He's saying that because this is what he desires. He desires for us to be his people, and he desires to be our God. And he is saying this in chapter 3, that this is how the story is going to end. It says, Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. Verse 2 says, so I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver. I understand. I understand. I understand. Um, the uh, show will go into archive, and you'll be able to download it later. Um, hopefully, you'll get to participate uh, and come on board with us tonight at 7. But, you know, before that, if you get the chance to download um, or listen to um, this show, that'll be great. And I think it will um, will uh, catch you up. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. I appreciate that, um, uh, Danielle. Um, you said, I love how you've studied Jose. I appreciate that because um, it's nothing but God, absolutely nothing but God. I love the word, but uh, there are times, you know, when I know that he's taking me into something, that he pulls stuff out of me that I didn't see myself. And so a lot of the things that even right now that we are, you know, airing on the air are things that he's revealing to me as we're going into it. So I thank him and I give him the praise for that because he's, he's faithful like that. So in verse 2 it says, So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for an omer of barley and for a half omer of barley. So Hosea goes and gets his wife because God says, Now I want you to go. I want you to go and love this woman who's being loved by her friend, her friend, her quote-unquote lover. You know, she's being an adulteress on top of being a prostitute, and she is looking to other gods. So she's dancing uh, with uh, the idolaters, um, with their gods, and she's loving the flames of wine. So on top of that, she is she's a drunkard, she's a prostitute, she's an adulteress, and she's an idolatress. So all of this is going on here in the prophet's wife. So he had to go and buy her back. So he had the means to buy her back. So Hosea was not a, a man without means. So when he says, And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. He's saying, I'm going to be faithful to you, and you're going to be faithful to me. I'm telling you. You're not going to keep doing this. You're going to abide for me many days, and you shall not play the part of the harlot. You're my wife, and you shall not be for another man. Another man has no business being with you, so I will also be for thee. Then in verse 4, he says, for the children of Israel, exactly, 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 that, you know, the conversation of a wife, it is uh, says that the word of God says that he, the sanctified, the sanctified wife, sanctifies her husband. And so the roles are reversed, um, but nevertheless, God says, you know, this is a spiritual thing, you know, because you can have, like in Hosea's case, obviously, but there are men today that I, you know, know of personally who have women who are harlots, basically. They're wives and they're harlots, but the fact of the matter is, were they harlots already before they became, his, you know, the wife? Possibility. So here he says now, um, 
In verse 4, he says, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, and without a prince, and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without teraphim. And verse 5 says, Afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Now, this is a short passage on uh, chapter 3. This only consists of five verses, five verses in chapter 3. So if we go back to verse 1 in chapter 3, and it says Hosea must illustrate. He has to illustrate, absolutely has to illustrate that uh, God loves Israel, but he has to do it on display. He has to demonstrate. He he becomes an illustrator, if you would, of uh, like a person would illustrate a book. He illustrates, he demonstrates through his own life um, how God feels about his people and how they have disappointed him. So Gomer uh, apparently has deserted her husband, as we've deserted God uh, when we fall into the occupation of being a sinner. And she's continuing on with her morality and her Baal worship. But Hosea doesn't give up. He doesn't give up his love for her. And he's, he's brokenhearted. He's hurting. He's wounded. Um, but he has to go because God says, now, you know, I want you to go, and I want you to love and care for her again, just as I'm going to do for Israel. And even though they've broken my heart by turning to other gods and, and being drunkards and um, taking the covenants in vain and taking the feasts in vain and turning them into like a social uh, outing, I want you, Gomer, to go and get her. She's in debt now, and she's about to be sold as a slave. Now, supposedly she was with somebody who God says, you know, was a friend. But obviously they got tired of her and they decided, well, you know, I'm going to get some money. I'm going to make some money off of you. And so to me, we talked about this yesterday, that this is now probably the institution of her being pimped out, if you would. And so uh, Hosea has come and he's brought her back at a great cost. Um, the response of Hosea is God's response to us, redeeming us, redeeming us as sinners. Now, remember, as sinners, and so we have now been redeemed. We've been delivered. We've been saved and set free, and we are now under grace. We're no longer under the law. So then we get into uh, looking at how he feels about, now, afterwards shall Israel return. In verse 5, when he says that afterward Israel shall return, but after many days without a king or a prince and without the sacrifices, Israel will return to God to their Davidic king, the Messiah, because that's talking about Jesus, and they would humble themselves, come with godly sorrow, and recognize their need for the sake of Jesus Christ. And that's in Second Corinthians 10 and 7. And we know that God says that he is the one who will do everything that he possibly can to be with us. He wants to be with us more than we want to be with him. I've heard that repeatedly, 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 that God wants to be with us even more than we want to be with him because he knows what he wants to do for us, with us, and through us. And he knows how we are to live, and he knows how to get us from point A to point B. Even when we falter, he knows how to get us out. He knows the way of escape that he has prepared for us, and he knows exactly, exactly. Be involved in getting us from point A to point B. 
doesn't, he's just God. He's faithful. He doesn't require, I mean, can you imagine that a lot of um, other gods that people worship and serve, they have so many different things that they have to do on a daily basis just so that their gods will be pleased with them and not angry with them. You think about, uh, what was it, Jonah, when Jonah was, um, 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 from God. And they're going like, you know, you're on the run from your God. What is this that you've done that you're causing us to be in trouble? And so it's like, you know, the gods must be angry with us, but whose God is it that's angry? I mean, can you imagine they're going, well, you know, I served Baal and, you know, and I did everything I was supposed to do before we got on the ship. And, you know, so I don't, I, you know, I should be okay, you know. Well, I, I served Donna, you know, uh, the goddess of love, Da, and, you know, I did everything I was supposed to do with her, you know, and uh, I even slept with the temple whores. And so, you know, everybody did a role check and was like, you know, did you do what you were supposed to do? Yeah, I did what I was supposed to do. Okay, who else is on this ship? Jonah. So they go to Jonah. It's like, you know, okay, what have you done? What have you done? We know that we've done what we're supposed to do with our guys. What have you done with your God? And I'm thinking about that now. I'm thinking, he says, you know what? He said, you're right. You, you found me. You are so right. Just throw me overboard. He doesn't even resist. He doesn't even plead his case. He says, I'm the one. I'm the culprit. Throw me overboard. He's like, look, okay, fine. I didn't want to go to Nineveh, so um, I'm about to cause these people to lose their lives and to lose their livelihood, so nobody should have to suffer. And that, that is key because as angry as Jonah was with the children of Nineveh and the inhabitants, you know, he, wanted, he didn't want God to um, be gracious to them. But had he had a true, deep, and hardened root of bitterness in his heart, he would have still not going to Nineveh, because that's what Billy says, that it troubles and it defiles many. This was like, you know, I don't know how big the ship was, but it wasn't a whole lot of people on the ship, unlike what's happening in Hosea's time, where one man has defiled many, and many have suffered the consequences for that. So Jonah said, throw me overboard, just throw me overboard, you know, and, and he was like, look, you know, I know I didn't obey you, God, and I, you know, I, I don't have a problem, you know, if I get out here and I, I perish out here in this water because I had no right to bring uh, your judgment down on these people. Even though they're serving other gods, I still had no right to bring my things and my mess into their realm. And so he suffers the consequences, you know. He's in uh, the belly of the whale for three days and three nights until he finally comes to himself and says, I'll obey. And as soon as he says, I'll obey, the whale opens its mouth and puts him out on dry land, and he goes and he does the will of God. But Hosea didn't go through all that. Immediately when God spoke to Hosea, he went directly, and he did what he had to do. And the hardest thing is that Hosea is of the northern kingdom, and the prophecy that God has given him is against his own people. It's against the northern kingdom. He is having to enact out the punishment for his own people, his own kinsmen, um, at the hands of God by marrying a prostitute and demonstrating to them what's going to happen if you don't turn, if you don't turn back from what you're doing, if you don't repent, and if you don't stop worshiping other gods and stop, you know, being drunkards and stop being uh, socializers at the feast and stop defaming the name of the Lord and uh, prostituting yourselves with other gods and, and sleeping with the temple whores and all this, if you don't stop this, judgment is coming. 
yet they didn't do it, and then they ended up being judged and dispersed. So here we are. Here we are doing all the things that um, we still find happening in the book of Hosea today. And we're under grace. We're no longer under the law. We're no longer under the law. Hi. <laughs> that was that was really weird. That was really really weird. Uh we went off the air and all I can say is that wow, the enemy must really be upset with what we are discussing today because just suddenly um the connection, everything, the switchboard, everything just shut down. So, I am back. <laughs> And I know that God is getting the glory out of uh, the broadcast today, so we praise him for that. We praise him for that. And I am um, I- I'm just amazed. I'm absolutely amazed um, at um, the ability for God to do what he needs to do in the midst of the air. This- And I'm excited about it. And so for every round we go higher and for every situation and circumstance that uh, is put before us, yes, he is. The devil is a liar. And I said, you know, wow. I mean, it just, like, just went flat off the air. So I thank him and Father in the name of Jesus. I thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers these airways, that is covering the rest of this broadcast. wickedness and our high places, and we take authority right now in the name of Jesus. We build a hedge of protection around our households, around our family, and we thank you, God, that no weapon formed shall prosper, God. We thank you. They may form, but they shall not prosper. God, you be glorified, and we thank you that you give your angels charge over this broadcast so that it would accomplish that which you sent to do. Not a word that has gone forth today, not a word that has gone forth today shall return void, but it will accomplish that which you have sent to do. God, I thank you for the souls that are going to be saved. I thank you for the backsliders who are going to return. I thank you for the righteous who are going to be strengthened and encouraged to go forward in their faith. God, I thank you right now that it is being done, and it is so. And were there only two or three gathering together in your name, touching and agreeing that you said you would be in the midst of it, God, and I thank you. Sit down in the midst of this broadcast, God, and I thank you and I praise you, Lord God, that just as you sit on the circle of the earth, that you're sitting in the middle of this broadcast being glorified, God, because you said if we would lift you up high above the earth, that you would be magnified in our midst, God, and I thank you that you are magnified and you are greater than any force, that any force, that any demon, any imp, any witch, any warlock, any wizard would come against this broadcast for God, I thank you because I, like Hosea, choose to obey you and do your will, God, that you shall prevail and you shall show forth your strength and power and in might. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yes, 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 yes. This is 
uh, a good place for a um, um, a worship uh, break. And I'm not necessarily breaking, but I just want to play this worship song. Um, this is the one that plays at the beginning of uh, the program, and it is by Cheryl Brady. Cheryl Brady. Um, she is at uh, www.cherylbrady.com, I believe. Or if you look for Cheryl Brady Ministries, her last name Brady, B-R-A-D-Y, S-H-R-Y-L, first name Brady. And she is a pastor out of, I believe, Ohio. Possibly, I believe it's Cleveland, Ohio, to be precise. And she is um, such a worshiper. She's such a worshiper. And um, yes, 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 exactly. And the um, this the entirety of this song just takes you to a whole another place. There's some other excerpts from some other clips of uh, music that I have of hers that I'm going to be. Yes, I do too. Yeah. And um, that I need to um, probably introduce on the broadcast as well. But she has a powerful anointing, powerful, powerful anointing. And so I truly enjoy um, uh, using her as um, the atmosphere, for setting the atmosphere, her and Karen Wheaton, because Karen Wheaton has such a powerful anointing on her as well for worship. So I truly enjoy both of them, and um, I just love music. And, and most people will tell you that uh, before every class, because I teach at a Bible uh, institute as well, and before every class, you know, we, we start out with uh, worship. 
So um, we started out with some form of worship music, and it's like, you know, okay, I want you guys to focus on this worship, and we get into the atmosphere before we even enter into class. So I truly enjoy um, I truly enjoy uh, worshiping uh, God, and I truly enjoy listening to uh, people who have a heart for worship. So um, we're going to go into Hosea chapter 4. And Hosea chapter 4 says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Now, this is amazing. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. And how is it possible? How, these are the children of Israel. These are the people who are those who study the law, who have the Torah with them, who have the Ten Commandments, the Ark of the Covenant, and God is saying that there is no knowledge of him. I mean, they have really gone to a whole other level. There is no knowledge of him, absolutely no knowledge of him in the land, no truth nor mercy. And he's upset, and I can imagine being upset. You know, these are the people that I have, you know, sent my servant Moses up onto the mountain to hear from me and to bring back to you my heart so that you would know how to live and walk before me as my people, as my bride, and yet you still want to taunt me and you act as if I don't even exist, there's no place for me in the land where you live. So by swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood touches blood. I mean, there's incest in the land as well. And uh, and, and they're swearing, um, they're lying, they're killing, they're stealing and committing adultery, and they break out and blood touches blood. Verse 3 says, Therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven, yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. I mean, he is going to take away food, their food source. The land is going to grieve, so the land is not going to produce anything. And everybody that dwells therein shall languish. I mean, they're going to basically starve. And the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven, so the birds are going to be gone, the oxen, the sheep, all of that, the fish of the See, are going to be taken away. I'm like, the only thing that that's left is is cannibalism, basically. And if they're going to languish, they're not going to even be very tasty. So yet, let no man strive nor reprove another, for thy people are as they that strive with the priest. Verse five says, therefore shall thy fall in the day, and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. I mean, he is going. He is, he is wiping them out. He says, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to judge you so fiercely that you're going to remember this day. Unbelievable. And verse 6 says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee. He's rejecting them because they reject knowledge. And that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law. I mean, even the priest are tripping out 
I will also forget your children. I'm going <laughs> to, wow, God is, is he's hurt. He is, he is absolutely hurt by this, for all that he's done for them. And this is how he's, they, they treated him. And he's saying, this is my response to how you treated me. I put up with this long enough. And so as they were increased, so they sinned against me. The, the more you grew, the, the more you got, the more you wanted, and the more you sin, therefore will I change their glory into shame. Their glory, not his glory, their glory into shame. Verse 8 says, they eat up the sin of my people and they set their heart on their iniquity. They willfully intend to sin. This is a sinner. This is a sinner. This is not the children of Israel. That's what he says. They don't want to be my people, so I'm not going to be their God. So they are not behaving as his people. Because they have righteousness imputed to them, they don't even deal with that. They are deliberately devising in their own hearts to do whatever they want to do. And in verse 9 it says, and there shall be like people, like priests, and I will punish them for their ways. I'm going to punish the people and the priests and reward them their doings. They're going to eat the fruit of their labor. They're going to be rewarded according to what they have done. For Verse 10 says, for they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit a whoredom and shall not increase. They're going to be sleeping with one another, but they no longer are they going to be able to reproduce. I mean, he is drying them up internally and externally. They will not even be able to have children. They are becoming barren now because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. Verse 11 says, whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. The whoredom, the committing adulteries, and wine, the, the excess of the wine and the new wine takes away the heart. Verse 12 says, my people ask counsel at their stocks, talking about their cattle, and their staff declares unto them, for the spirit of whoredoms has caused them to err. I mean, the spirit of whoredoms has caused them to err. So they've got a root of bitterness going on, but the spirit of whoredoms seeking to do the desires of the flesh have caused them to err, and they have gone a-hoying from under their God. Verse 13 says, They sacrifice upon the tops of the mountains and burn incense upon the hills, under oaks and poplars and elms, because the shadow thereof is good. Therefore your daughter shall commit whoredom. So they were having sex out in the open. They were out in the fields, under the trees, having sex. <laughs> And your spouses shall commit adultery. And says, because the shadow, because this is, this is how you know, says they think that they're not being seen because the shadow of the oak trees and the poplars and the elms um, that are being cast over the trees is so great that it says, because the shadow thereof is good, therefore your daughter shall commit whoredoms. And they think that they're out there under these trees and the shadows of the, the branches are covering them and nobody sees them. But God says, you know, I see them. And then in verse 14, he says, I will punish your daughters. When they commit whoredom, nor your spouses, when they commit adultery, for they themselves are separated with whores, and they sacrifice with harlots. Therefore, the people that doth not understand shall fall. Verse 15 says, Thou, though, Israel, play the harlot, yet let not Judah offend. Judah, now, I'm, I'm, I want to deal with that because verse 15 says, Thou, though thou, Israel, play the harlot. This is the northern kingdom. This is uh, uh, Hosea's people. Yet let not Judah, which is the southern kingdom, 
offend, and come not ye unto Gilgal, neither go ye up to Beth-Avon, nor swear the Lord liveth. 16 says, For Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. So it's impossible once saved, always saved. Backsliding is in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament, but he says that he's married to the backslider. Verse 16, for Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer, H-E-I-F-E-R. Now the Lord will feed them as a lamb in a large place. 17, Ephraim is joined to idols. Ephraim, the Ephraimites were uh, their allies. They, they were allies of uh, the children of Israel. But on top of being allies, they were taking on the customs of the Ephraimites. So he says, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Let him alone. God doesn't want them dealing with the Ephraimites. Verse 18, their drink is sour. They have committed whoredoms continually. Her rulers with shame do love give ye. Verse 19, the wind has bound her up in her wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Now let's get off a little bit more into verse 4. The Lord has a controversy with them because Knowledge is not there, the root of which was the lack of knowledge. Um, and it says, you know, crime and violence had reached a critical point, sounds like today. Fear and misery had prevailed in the land, and increasing crimes of violence always follows when a nation does not acknowledge God and his word as its ultimate authority. Increase, increase in crime and violence always follow a nation that does not acknowledge God and his word as its ultimate authority. This means one Lord, one faith, one baptism, instead of us having many gods as authority and everyone able to be consulted. It says, you know, I am that I am. I'm the only God. I'm the only God. And so consulting with other people about what their gods think and what their gods would have uh, a say about a matter in the concerns of this nation is leading us to a state of, a lack of knowledge because God is knowledge. God is knowledge. And so if you lack wisdom and you lack knowledge, he says, ask me. He says, I'm not going to chastise you or ridicule you. He says, if you ask me, I'll give it to you freely. So we don't have to go whoring and asking other gods for knowledge and wisdom. So there's a lack of personal knowledge of God, and he was destroying the people, not because knowledge was not available. He was available to them. The people were willfully rejecting the truth that God had given them through the prophets and his written word. Even today within the church, some are being destroyed by the simple ways of the world because they do not know God and his inspired word. And we have pastors and prophets and evangelists and preachers and teachers who are wanting to appease the people. But in verse 9, uh, we see also that it says, like people, like priests. You know, the people are like the priests and the priests are like the people. I can't tell them apart. So instead of leading the people into paths of truth and righteousness, the priests were following the people. They were telling the people what the people wanted to hear, telling them what they wanted to hear and no longer rebuking their sins. God would punish them, uh, the spiritual leaders and the people, for their wickedness. You couldn't tell the priests from the people because the people were, trying, were uh, asking the priests and commanding the priests instead of the priests commanding and leading the people. The people were basically running the temple. And so um, another point in verse 11, the wine and the new wine, the spirit of harlotry is associated with old wine or new wine. 
and it was destroying sound judgment and the discernment of God's way. A drunkard can't discern the things of God. So by itself, the unfermented wine, uh, when they're talking about it's called uh, tarosh, is a blessing. The unfermented wine, the new unfermented wine, tarosh, is a blessing. But it ceases to be a blessing when it is associated with evil practices such as harlotry and idolatry. And then uh, another key point in verse 15 says, Nor swear the Lord liveth. The priests were using religious and pious languages to deceive the people and turn them away from the pure worship of the Lord. They were being false. They uh, were using biblical language. Uh, language. They were twisting the, the word of God. They didn't have the gospel. They had the Torah. But they were using a piece of the truth of the word of God, and they were adding to it. And, it, and so, you know, in Revelation, it talks about adding jots and tittles to the word. I mean, that is going to be punished. So we have people doing that today. So we must listen carefully to what is being preached in order to evaluate whether the ideas being expressed are a proper uh, exposition of the written word of God or is coming from a false place. So we cannot allow, that's right, we cannot allow the world to dictate to us, and we cannot allow people in the church who come to church for um, false reasons, false pretenses, to influence the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel must be preached. The gospel must be preached. And that is why and how people are going to be saved is when he is lifted up high above the earth and the gospel is being preached to every nation and every person has had the opportunity to hear the, the gospel, not my opinion, not the opinions of others, but the gospel. When the gospel is being preached, then that is when the word of God will prevail and it will accomplish that what it is sent to do. And so let's look at uh, Hosea chapter 5, and it's talking about the severity that God is going to, of judgment that God is going to meet out. And, I mean, it's, it's right there in verse 4. I mean, in chapter 4, we see how severely God is going to punish them. I mean, all manners of things. He's taking away their food source. He's taking away uh, food from the land. He's taking away food from the sea. He's taking away food from the air. He's taking away their ability to reproduce. And so they are in a mess. They are in an absolute mess. So verse uh, chapter 5, verse 1 says, Hear ye this, O priest. And hearken. Now, I want to I want to focus on hearken because hearken, H-E-A-R-K-E-N, means to hear, can, obey, hear and obey. So it's not just hearing because in verse 5, verse 1, it's, I mean, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, hear ye this. And then he goes on and says, now hearken. So I don't want you just to hear this, O priest. I want you to hear, hearken, and obey, ye house of Israel, and give ye ear, O house of the king, for judgment is towards you because you have been a snare on Mizpah, and a net spread upon Tabor. Verse 2 says, And the revolters are profound to make slaughter, though I have been a rebuker of them all. Verse 3 says, I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hid from me. For now, O Ephraim, thou committest whoredom, and Israel is defiled. Verse 4 says, They will not frame their doings to turn unto their God. For the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, and they have not known the Lord. This is chapter 5. Verse uh, 4, and then it says now in, chapter, in verse 5 of chapter 5, and the pride of Israel doth testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Judah also shall fall with them. Now Judah's going to fall with them, and Judah is not even as corrupt as Israel. 
So the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom, once again, is representing Hosea's people, Israel, the Israelites. And also um, the southern kingdom, they're also Israelites, but they are called out of the tribe of Judah. And he says, you know, Judah is also going to fall with him. Is that How is it that um, because of someone else's sin that we fall? Because, I mean, it, it falls true to the word. He says, you know, that when we walk, we need to walk worthy of our calling. So that when people are looking at us as living epistles, that there is no occasion for them to fall or to sin. So because of the sin has been greater amongst the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom is also going to fall with them. Verse 6 says, They shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord, but they shall not find him. He hath withdrawn himself from them. He's done. He's through with them. He is absolutely through with them. Verse 7 says, they have dealt treacherously against the Lord, for they have begotten strange children. They are mixing in with um, the Egyptians. They're having children with the Egyptians, and that's why God had commanded uh, Hosea to go and take a wife, uh, Gomer, who was an Egyptian. So they were marrying outside of their culture, their culture not necessarily their race. And a lot of people like to use this uh, reason for uh not buying into interracial relationships or whatever, but this isn't talking about interracial. It's talking about inner covenant because these were not a people of the covenant of God. They were outside of the covenant of God. They didn't have um, the conversion in their hearts to live the life nor the mindset to live the life that was required of those who were of the Jewish nation. So they were stepping outside of what it was that God had required of them to do. So it says, now shall a mouth devour them with their portion. Verse 8 says, "How now blow ye the cornet in Gibeah and the trumpet in Ramah, cry aloud at Beth-Avon after thee, O Benjamin. Verse uh, 9 of chapter 5 says, Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. Among the tribes of Israel have I made known that which shall surely be. Verse 10, the princes of Judah were like them that removed the bound. Therefore, I will pour out my wrath upon them like water. 11, Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked after the commandment. Verse 12, therefore will I be unto Ephraim as a moth and to the house of Judah as rottenness. Verse 13, when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, then went Ephraim to the Assyrian and sent to King Jareb, yet could he not heal you nor cure you of your wound. Verse 14 of chapter 5 says, For I will be unto Ephraim as a lion, and as a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will take away, and none shall rescue him. Verse 15 of chapter 5 says, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face in their affliction. They will seek me early. This is powerful. This is absolutely powerful. This is absolutely powerful. God is so upset with them, so upset with them. So in, in verse 1, we're going to go back and kind of break that down a little bit. In verse 1, he says, you've been a snare. The people were snared. They were trapped into idolatry by the same religious and political leaders who should have been drawing them to the Lord. So it's, it's the priests, the politicians, and the people. The priests, oh, three P's, the priests, the politicians, and the people. The priests were following after the people. The people were telling the priests what to do, and the politicians were leading the people astray as well. So 
Now we've got, God, that sounds like today, doesn't it? Oh, my goodness, it sounds like today. Uh, let's uh, look at verse 6. It's kind of key. It says, he has withdrawn himself. The Israelites were coming with their flocks and, and herds to offer sacrifice to seek the Lord, and they couldn't find him. They could not find him because he had withdrawn himself from them because their deeds were evil. God cannot dwell in the midst of an unclean people. He says there was no love, no faith, no faithfulness, and no real repentance. They were pretending like they were coming looking for him to repent, and he knew that they weren't sincere. You're, you know, you're faking with me. Don't you know I am God? I know your heart. I see you. I know you, and I know that you just want to try to appease me. I'm not those other gods. You can't appease me. You can't appease me. You're either going to serve me with your whole heart or you're just not going to serve me at all. And he says, I don't want anything to do with you, so I'm enjoying myself. So their hearts have been given over to simple pleasures. Sometimes when people seek help from the Lord, they don't find it because they keep holding on to the immoralities and the simple attractions of the world. So how is it that, you know, we go to God and we ask him for help, but we don't really, really want his help because if we did, we would come clean. Because he already knows what's in our hearts if we would just wholeheartedly go seeking after him. But instead, they come thinking, well, you know, I'm just going to uh, uh, just, you know, repent just enough to get him off my back and, and to get some of this stuff to stop happening. And God's like, not this time. I'm not winking at you this time. I'm not going to keep on striving with you and trying with you and trying to get you to do what it is that you know you're supposed to do. So, you know, I'm just, I'm out. I'm out of here. I am absolutely out of here. So I have just, you know, completely taken myself out of the picture. You do what you want to do. So then uh, let's look at uh, verse 10. And it says, uh, talking about the princes of Judah were like them that removed the bound. Uh, so to remove the bound is to move the boundary stones, of, oh, my goodness, of one's neighbor's property. Uh, and I guess that's where we kind of get that uh, with the, the homeowners, you know, where we have to get the people to come out and say the land and kind of draw your boundary lines. And you go back and you find that your neighbor has kind of like moved the boundary line over and set up a fence, and it's on your side of the property line, and you go years and years and years without knowing it. <laughs> So the children of Judah, they weren't like doing other stuff, but they were trying to take territory. They were moving the boundaries, uh, the stones of one neighbor's property, and this, the effects of this action, it, they were stealing land. They, they were stealing land. So everybody there, the north and the south, they were all committing sins, but the north was doing it more so than the southern kingdom. But for the little bit that the southern kingdom was doing, they were going to fall right along with the north. And then in uh, verse 12, it says, you know, I'm going to be like a moth and I'm going to be like rottenness. So because of their rebellion, God would give his people sicknesses and diseases. I mean, you know, rotting your, you know, rotting your skin and your flesh. I mean, that's like leprosy. And Ephraim, the northern um, Israelites, um, and Judah would decay. Sin brings God's judgment, and there's only one cure for sin. The cure God has provided is the blood of Jesus. It is his gift of salvation. But back then, it was the blood of the lamb, the sacrifices, and, and the word, and reading of the Torah, and keeping of the commandments, and keeping the pilgrimages to Jerusalem to observe the feast and to observe the time. And they have stopped doing all of that. They have stopped doing all of that. And so another key is found in verse 15. It says, I will go and return to my place. I got a place. You know, I don't have to be here. So God would not hear Israel's prayers for help until they admitted their guilt. They uh, bore their punishment and genuinely sought his help. 
The next, uh, when uh, we get into verse uh, chapter 6, it talks about the prophetic words that a future generation uh, would pray they would turn to God. But uh, right now, he's, he's dealing with them based on what they haven't done. What they haven't done is they haven't turned. They haven't turned around. They haven't turned away from doing what it is that they want to do. And so um, I believe that God is, is speaking to us once again. He's speaking to us once again. And we have to know that God is not going to accept this behavior. God is not going to keep on letting us do what we want to do and leading people Astray. God is not going to keep doing that. He's not going to keep doing that. And this is why I believe that judgment is on its way to the church. Because um, if you look around and you see that we've had like little trickles of things happening uh, across denominations, across uh, um, uh, nationalities, and across um, belief systems, and people are being called to account. The covers are being snatched off and the skirts are being raised up. And God is seeing what's being done in secret is being revealed in public. And so God is, is, is doing all of this to give people, say, look, you know, look, 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 you know, I, I got tired of that. I got tired of this happening in over here in this denomination. I got tired of this happening over here. Because he's not coming back for a denomination. He's coming back for a church. And the church that he's coming back for is the people who robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and their names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. But on top of that, he's coming back for one voice, one sound. And when that sound is, come Lord Jesus, when everybody is saying, come Lord Jesus, when it's in unison, come Lord Jesus, and it's not going to be everybody because, remember, there's going to be a great falling away, but of that remnant of people, when they come together and they come together with one voice and say that there is but only one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism with one sound, like a choir, like an orchestra, like a symphony, having one melody, one sound, when they come together and they say, come Lord Jesus, then I will be there. He's on his way. He's on his way. But until then, judgment will begin at the house of God. And so let's go into uh, Hosea chapter 6. I think we're making really good progress today. So um, come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn. In verse 1 it says, come, let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn. And he will heal us. He is smitten, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Verse 2 really points to the resurrection, doesn't it? The resurrection and the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And in verse 3, it says, Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. Verse 4 of chapter 6 says, O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee, O Judah? What shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew it goeth away. Verse 5 says, Therefore I have hewed them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth. Uh, verse 6 of chapter 6 says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Isn't that amazing? God desired to have his knowledge to be utilized, to be implemented, for people to seek after his knowledge more than he wanted their burnt offerings. Um, verse 7 of chapter 6 says, But they, like men, have transgressed the covenant. 
There have they dealt treacherously against me. Verse 8 says, Gilead is a city of them that work iniquity and is polluted with blood. And as troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests murder in the way by consent, for they commit lewdness. Verse 10 of chapter 6 says, I have seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is the whoredom of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. Verse 11 of chapter 6 says, Also, O Judah, he has set in harvest for thee when I return the captivity of my people. It's, it's amazing. I mean, the unfaithfulness of the Israelites. God says, you know, it, it hurts my heart. After all I've done, don't you remember how I brought you out? Don't you remember how I brought you through the wilderness? Your clothes didn't wear out. No one uh, died of a disease. Anyone who did die, they died of old age. I fed you. I, I, I covered you with clouds to protect you from the heat. I led you by fire to keep you warm. I was your God, and you were my people. And now I brought you into a land of promise where it's flowing with milk and honey, where the grapes are massive, where the land is producing, and everything that you need, houses and lands that you did not build, I brought you into all of this to give this to you, to provide for you. I even let you bring out the wealth of your oppressors, and I let you have that wealth, and now you take what I've given you and you defile my name. 650 years later, you forgot the goodness of the Lord. You forgot how good I had been to your people. And how long does it take to forget God? How long does it take for a generation, for a nation of people to forget God? 650 years. Seems like. <laughs> 650 years. So um, in uh, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, he says, he will heal us. And yet another call to repentance, Hosea gives assurance that though uh, God has to judge their sin, he desires to heal and restore them. This is This is love. This is unconditional love. But his kind of love, the agape love that says, you know what, I can't stand to see how you turned out. I can't stand to be in your presence because you're phony right now. You're doing all kinds of things. You're bringing other gods before me. I can't look at another god. I am God all by myself. I am God alone, but you expect me to look down on you, my people worshiping other gods, having sex under the trees and, and, and uh, touching blood and, and having sex amongst your family members and everything. God says, but yet you expect for me to keep on forgiving you. God forgives us when we cry out to him and ask for forgiveness. Many of us have been brought up in families where it, you know, dysfunction is, is when you look up the word dysfunction, you probably could find our pictures under the word dysfunction for our family. But because once we come into the knowledge of God and all the things that have been done to us, like that mud that's on the left side of the sidewalk, we get up into the sidewalk of salvation and we start walking and working out our salvation and we move over into the rest of God and into the pastures of God, and we begin to walk with him consistently on a consistent basis. But we still have to work this stuff out because we got all that residue and, 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 and remnants and stuff of what's been done to us, what's written in our genetic code, what's written in our spirit, in our flesh, and all that stuff has to be worked out and has to be washed out and has to be, you know, rinsed out and cleansed out, renewed and transformed, and we have to have a change of heart and a change of mind and allow the Holy Spirit to have free reign inside of us. So uh, in verse 2 and 3 of chapter 6, it says, Now after two days he's going to revive them. 
uh, genuine repentance by God's people would bring renewed spiritual life. And as they began to know the Lord better, he would come like the rain, bringing further spiritual life and blessing. Water is often used as a symbol or as a type of the Holy Spirit. The former rain is the rain that comes in the time of plowing and planting. It symbolizes the Holy Spirit's work. Um, uh, the Spirit is uh, also um, looking and saying, okay, you know, I need you to till up the ground. I need you to break up the fallow ground. And when you break up the fallow ground and you get ready to sow your seed, then I'm going to come and I'm going to water that ground. I'm going to water that ground initially, and that's the former rain. And so then the latter rain is the rain that comes in the time of harvest. It symbolizes the Holy Spirit's work in the church. It is harvest time. It comes to water when it's time to, to uh, harvest what's been planted. And that means the sickle is uh, about to be brought out in the harvest. And it says, you know, that the uh, harvest is white, but the laborers are few. So he's getting ready to pour out the form in the latter rain when the people repent and turn back to him. And then in verse 4, chapter 6, he's, uh, the theme in here is like the goodness is as a morning cloud. Goodness. Uh, the Hebrew word uh, goodness is hasid, H-E-S-E-D. And it refers to a covenant love that is holy, it's steadfast, and it's loyal. And uh, Pastor Kenneth Copeland talks about hasid agape, the agape of God, the hasid, the agape of God, the covenant love of God that he has for his people, the holy, steadfast, and loyal, and, and that's what he wants them to be. And so Israel claims to have a deep love for God, but they're like the morning clouds and the early dew that vanishes in the heat of the day. You know, they're, they're sometimes, they're wishy-washy, they're unstable. So the love that was superficial and selfish and his, the love that he seemed to always have to test to see if it was genuine or not. So then God says, you know, I want you to test me, God, to see my love and to see my loyalty. And so now we have a foretelling that God is going to have someone who loves him that way. And he's going to have a people who will willingly be his people. But it's going to require something of him like he required of Hosea to go and get Gomer off the auction block. He had to go and buy her back. So God had to go back and buy us back once again. Once again. He had to go and get us out of the mess that we were in. So he says um, here that he's talking about um, the righteousness, the righteousness. Remember, to be a sinner is to practice sin, but to be righteous is to practice righteousness, and that means that you lose your sin consciousness. You stop thinking and acting like a sinner and stop desiring the ways of a sinner, and you start craving after righteousness. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall what shall be filled. And so this is what he's saying, that if you would hunger and thirst after righteousness, you would be filled. And you are my righteous ones. You are the righteousness of me through my son, Christ Jesus. And then we go on, and um, it talks about uh, his purposes on the earth, that he has called us for a purpose. And so many are the plans of a man's heart, but it is the, the uh, purpose of God that will prevail. We make all kinds of plans outside of God, and we don't ask God, and we don't consult God. But when we ask God and we consult God for his purpose and his plan and how he wants to live our lives and what he wants to do in us and through us and with us and allow him to lead and guide us because what the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Hosea is an example of that. He allowed God to order his steps. He allowed God to tell him what to do, 
when to do it, who to marry, um, what to name his children, how he should love his wife, how he should minister to his people, to his family. Hosea allowed God to rule and reign in his heart and in his life. And that's all God is requiring of us. He's asking us to let him inhabit us, to get into us and show us his love. We don't know love the way that he wants to show us love because all we know is what our parents gave us or didn't give us or what other people give us or didn't give us. And something God said to me says, just because someone doesn't love you the way you desire to be loved doesn't mean that they don't love. It just means that they are loving you with limited love based on the capacity that they have of love. A person can't give you what they don't have. And whatever they give you, they're giving you out of the measure of what they do have. So if a person is loving you with uh, what you don't desire and what you feel like you need, it's because they're lacking love in themselves. And that means that hatred, self-hatred is probably, they don't love themselves. So how can you expect them to love you if they don't love themselves? Love, love, the love of God, the agape of love is in the heart of God, and it has to flow to men. It says it flows from breast to breast, from breast to breast. It flows from breast to breast, but it has to flow from God to you. And what's in your heart is what you have available to give other people. And if you've allowed your heart to become hardened and you've allowed bitterness to creep in, then it's troubling even your love walk. You can't love somebody with a grudge. You can't love somebody with unforgiveness in your heart. It's hard to walk in love when you've got issues of unforgiveness and unresolved pain inside of you. And so we are down here as human beings with a spirit inside of us trying to have an experience and in human form, doing human things, when God says, I have a supernatural anointing available to you to avail you and enable you to live and love and be loved as I love you, if you would only get my knowledge, get my knowledge, and when you get my knowledge, then you ask me for an understanding. He says, acknowledge me. That means knowledge. Acknowledge me. Acknowledge my knowledge. And in all your ways, seek me. In all your ways, seek me, and I'll direct your path. And when I direct your path, then you will lean not to your own understanding, but you will lean on me and trust in my ability to order your steps because I am God. I know the outcome before you even begin to ask me for what you want, for what you need. I know the outcome of it, so why not come to me? Because I am knowledge. And once you take his knowledge and you get an understanding, knowledge and the understanding turns into wisdom. It says, now, wisdom is the principal thing. Take wisdom and tie it about your neck and wear it as a necklace, means that it is ever available to you. God wants you to have his knowledge. He wants you to have the understanding of his word, and he wants you to take that, and he wants you to have wisdom, and he wants you to let him lead and guide you in the way that he wants you to go. And it's not a feeling because following after God, you can't, you, you don't always feel like following him. You may want to, you know, cuss somebody I have given you the power to tread upon serpents. I have given you the authority of the name of my son, which has been named above every name. I have given you the keys to the kingdom. I've given you death, hell, and the grave, king. 
keys, and I've told you that now I have put it all under your feet. Come with me. Come up with me. Sit with me in high places. You can't sit high and think low. You can't rise up to the heights of the heavens and think low. It requires a changing of heart. It requires a change of mind. It requires a transformation. It requires a transfiguration. It requires a renewing of your mind. It requires an empowerment of your spirit. It requires the washing of the water. It requires the blood being applied to the doorpost of your heart and your life, and it requires you calling upon the name of the Lord in the time of trouble. It requires coming boldly before the throne of grace. It requires you to come before him and ask in the time of need. He says, ask, seek, knock, open the door, and I'll come in and I'll sup with you. I'll abide with you. Dwell with me. Love on me. Let me love you. Let me in. That's all I want. I want to get into you so that you can get to me and I can teach you how to be intimate with me. And I thank God because he has taught me about being intimate with him, about allowing him in places where I allow people, things, and stuff to come in and occupy and and for me to dance around and and serve idols and, and put people and and things and stuff above him. When I cried out to him with my whole heart, and I said, God, it's hard. It's hard living a double life. It's hard being a double mind. It's hard trying to be a pretender. It's hard faking with you. You already know me. You already know what I need. You already know what I'm going to do before you do it. Come on, God. Okay, I give up. I want to do it your way. I've suffered the consequences and the repercussions for living my life the way that I wanted to live my life. Now, God, take control of me. Take control of my life. Don't let me be concerned about anybody except people who have hurt me, people who have harmed me, people who have said all manner of evil against me. Let me take my eyes off of them and put my eyes on you. Put eyes on you and focus on the race that's ahead of me. And let me reach and press my way into your presence and give you the praise and the glory for what you're going to do. I'm not what I want to be, not what I used to be, and I'm not what I'm going to be, but thank God I'm yours. Thank God that I'm yours. And focus on me. I put this on me and let you show me myself. And as you show me myself, I'll walk worthy of your calling. I walk worthy of your election, even if I'm being persecuted, even if I'm going through, even if I'm not being loved, even if I'm being ostracized, even if I'm being ridiculed and criticized. God, for you I'll live and for you I'll die. I have my being in you. I live, move, and have my being in you. And because you live, I can face tomorrow. Because you live, all the fear is gone out of my life. Because you live, I know that my future is safe and secure because you said that you are Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. You go before me and you make my crooked places straight and you cause me to walk in high places and you cause me to walk on the highway in the wilderness so that my heels are not bitten off and devoured. And I thank God because this is what's available to us if we would only surrender. You can't surrender somebody else's will. You can't make somebody else do anything as evident by the book of hell. But what you can do 
is surrender yourself and can do is ask God to empower you and enable you to do that which it is that he has called you to do. And he is upset with them because the one thing that they truly should have held on to was the knowledge of his presence, acknowledging him acknowledging him, acknowledging him in the midst of his people, they disavowed that he even existed. They're behaving. There is no God. And he says, so, you know, it's like, I, I'm not going to stay where I'm not wanted. And when I get done to you and let you know, you know what, I, I'm going to do all this to you to get you to turn because they were in deep and it required far off into sin, and God has to utterly let you hit the bottom, has to let you hit the bottom to get your attention, then you know that once you hit the bottom, if you will look up like Nebuchadnezzar did, and he came to himself, and he says, what in the world am I doing out here, living like an animal, crawling around on all fours, what in the world am I doing? And he came to himself, and he looked up, and when he looked up, that's when he realized, you know, oh, God, how wrong I've been. This is what God requires. This is what God requires. This is what God requires. He requires a people who will look up to him, who will serve him, who will worship him with their whole hearts, and who will give him the dominance and the predominance and the authority to do what needs to be done in our lives. This is what God is asking for. It's not a hard thing. It's only hard when we don't want to get off the throne. There is no room for two rulers on one throne. There is but one God, and there is but one way. And because of that, because of that, somebody has to be on the throne. Who is on the throne of your life? Sinner, saint, righteous one, who's on the throne of your life? I ask you to give your life to God when you listen to this message, when you listen to it in archive, when you play it over and over again. I ask that you do this one thing. Pray a simple prayer of salvation. Even if you say that you're saved, simply at this point with the anointing on this broadcast that is available to you, simply say, Father, come into my life. Create in me a clean heart and renew within me a right Spirit, I believe on the name of Jesus Christ. I believe that he is your son that was given for my life for the remissions of my sins so that I could be free. And I thank you, Father, for the free gift of salvation. I will open up your gift and I will use your gift and I will wear your gift proudly and I will demonstrate and I will be a living example so easily read of men that you are my Lord and my Savior. And I ask you to come in and clean me, and clean me through and through. Purge me with his, make me whiter than snow. And whatever you do, don't take your spirit from me. And, and thank him for baptizing you in the Holy Spirit because that begins the process of washing off all of that filth and all of those things. And then you need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because that becomes your prayer line to God. You need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to come, so you need to be baptized. You need to be washed in the water. You need to be baptized in 
the washing of the water of the word, and you need to receive him into your heart as your Savior first and be baptized for the, you know, the remissions of your sins and all of this, and you're being cleansed to being washed, if you can just visualize that. And then now he's saying, you know, I want to pour out my spirit upon your flesh. And so you open your mouth and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to come down inside of you and fill you up to the top and give you the evidence of speaking another language. The angels cannot even comprehend this language. It is a language that has been given to you freely, given to you and available to you to empower you to do what you do when you need to do it. And God says that he wants us to walk worthy of the calling and election that's upon our lives. So I ask you to invite him into your heart and into your lives, even if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that maybe you have fallen away and you have not done all that God has asked you to do, just turn, just turn from your wicked ways. And, Father, I thank you for the listeners, again, of this broadcast. I thank you for those who will be listening. Um, and I thank you for those who shall return. And we give you glory and give you honor for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And, once again, I thank you for being present here, for tuning in to um, the study on Hosea, the prophet and the prostitute. And at this point, I would like to play some worship music uh, for us. And I want to use um, Marvin Staff's Never Would Have Made It. Never would have made it. Amen, amen. Never could have made it without you. I would have lost it all. But now I see how you were there for me and I can say never would have made it. Never could have made it without you. I would have lost it all. But now I see how you were there for me and I can say I'm stronger, I'm wiser, I'm better, much better. When I look back over all your partners, I can see that you yes. are the one yes. I held on to. We have one minute remaining in the show, and I invite you to come back tonight uh, at 7 p.m. for the continuation of the prophet and the prostitute, and we are going to examine the root of bitterness um, in a more in-depth way. That's going to be the focus for uh, the show this evening, and so I invite you to come back and invite someone, and if you would, please uh, rate the show. And also, now that uh, we have unlimited airtime, we will be broadcasting as well tomorrow at 12.30 p.m., Part 5 of The Prophet and the Prostitute. And then over the weekend, we'll have Patricia Adams live on the weekend, and we're going to be getting into uh, the mindset of wealth, that God has uh, the wealth that he desires for us, and we have to have the mindset to receive it. And this is not just in uh, financial wealth, but he wants to take us into a wealthy place of taking off the old and putting on the new and receiving the promises that God has for us. 
whatever those promises are. He says that we would reap what we have not sown and that we would have houses and lands that we did not build. And there are things that God has for us, but the mind has to be prepared to receive those things because ultimately it is for the upbuilding of the king that he needs us to receive those things. So I ask you once again to be blessed. I'm in his service, and I'm in his service because he has served me, and it is my reasonable service. I ask you to come again to www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Patricia Adams Live. Thank you, and God bless. and strengthened and renewed and whatever it was that you need, I pray that you received it when you came by. That is the purpose and intent of uh, this program. So I thank you so much and uh, God bless you. I guess 2053, would you like to make any comments at uh, this point? Uh, we are off the air. Um, if you need to, feel free to um, send me a message. Thank you. And do, by all means, join us again tonight at 7 p.m. Okay, if we have no further comments, I will be signing off. Oh, once again, I, I forgot to ask you to rate the show. Okay, I forgot to do that. Yeah.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.